Welcome to Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Ryan Costello, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system, and an author on the G.I. Joe Transformers and My Little Pony role-playing game core rulebooks, as well as a dozen other Essence 20 products from Renegade Game Studios. Normally, I would be joined by Jason Keeley, a former developer at Renegade Game Studios. Unfortunately, Jason was not able to record this week, I was not able to record last week, and the topic of today's show is a recap of what happened at Gen Con 2023, which, you know, it needs to be fairly timely. So instead of putting it off and releasing it off schedule or in two weeks when we have a regularly scheduled upshift, I decided, or I guess we decided, that it would be okay for me to do this on my own. Jason wasn't even at Gen Con, so it would basically be me telling Jason about my experience, and then he could, you know, ask questions and talk about things he'd heard. So instead, I'm going to try a solo podcast, something I am notoriously bad at. And by notorious, I mean, I feel it in my soul. I don't know if anyone else cares, but I know that a lot of times I've tried to do solo podcasts and they just become these like start and stop things that just, I never get to the end because I'm constantly tinkering with little things I'm not happy with. Hopefully not today. So we're going to start with the biggest Essence 20 event at Gen Con 2023, and that is Worlds Collide Battle for the Multiverse. So on Saturday night, I played Master of Ceremony for a multi-table special event in which, I believe it was, let's see, there were six tables, because one of the gems of for, uh, GMs fortunately wasn't able to make it. Uh, six tables of six players, because it was originally going to be five tables each. All right, so six them six, so 36 players, six GMs, all were running the same event at the same time, Effect, affecting one another. So each GM had their table of six players and periodically I would interrupt to do either pre-scheduled or an event triggered announcement. And that would affect what was happening at the table. Then uh, there were other ways that the different tables can interact, but it was mainly the GM really 90% of the time was focusing on their one table, keeping their players happy, engaged, keeping the action moving. This was... It, it turned out amazing. Uh, obviously, an event like this has a lot of opportunities to uh, for things to go wrong. And in fact, it was kind of bookended by logistical errors. I'll get to the one that we ended with, uh, which was not really a very big uh, issue. Uh, neither was the one at the beginning. So there were about four people in the room that were playing organizer. Uh, that, you know, that had some kind of organizing authority. And uh, Jordan and I... We had come to the agreement that when we let players in, they we will do a quick, like, what setting are you playing in? And then shoot them off to a table so that once all, ta uh, once all players were seated, every table hopefully had a nice mix of G.I. Joe Power Rangers and Transformers. Now, when people signed up, they were not asked to pick a setting, and we did nothing to force the odds. So there was a very good chance... Or not a very good chance, but there was a chance that only one setting was represented by all the players, or more likely, one would have a large majority, and then the other two might have almost no representation, or one then have second most, and one have almost no representation. So, uh, yeah, we were just going to quickly try and spread people out. Because that's part of the buy-in. The idea is that all this multiverse event is happening, and so you get to interact with Characters from other systems, not just threats and, 
the NPCs from these other systems. Uh, so unfortunately, we didn't tell the other two people that were organizing the event uh, or that were, you know, were handling the logistics for the event. And so they opened the door and said, just go to a table, get seated, get started, which meant that people were just clumped up at random. And that did, mean, that did mean that one table was all Transformers except for one G.I. Joe. One table was largely Power Rangers. And then the other four tables were actually a pretty healthy mix of, uh, of the different settings. So we probably could have created a, a better mix, or at the very least, if we'd mixed up those Power Rangers and Transformers tables, we would have had, uh, yeah, we would have had all three settings represented. It was a minor thing that would have just been a little bit better. Uh, but from there, things really kicked off uh, exactly as I hoped they would. So the way the event is written, and for anyone that hopes to one day run this, first of all, there are plans to publish this and either release it to game stores or possibly just sell it as a product. Um, yeah, so if you one day hope to run this, I am not going to spoil anything about the event. I'm just going to kind of give some insight into how some of the logistics work. So it begins with a 10 to 15 minute period where players get settled in. And this is one of the only times at the table where there is a nebulous, a variable amount of time. The idea is that the, the Master of Ceremonies has the power to decide when to do the introductory speech. So otherwise players show up at their table, GMs get them uh, situated as quickly as possible, get them lightly role-playing while they wait for the Master of Ceremony to announce that uh, the gathering of heroes is about to begin. And this was going really well. Uh, just immediately you could feel the energy of the room as people were engaging. It was also fun, at least from the Master of Ceremonies point of view, because I could kind of keep a little bit of an eye on every table. It was fun to see how the different GMs handle the this, this section. So for example, uh, Ben Heisler, who uh, works at Renegade as a uh, uh, role-playing game producer, and he was one of the co-authors on the G.I. Joe role-playing game with me, as well as a few other books that we've worked on together. He immediately went into getting some logistics out of the way. So uh, getting people's names, getting people, uh, like very out of character stuff, making sure people understood the any safety concerns, any ways you can flag on an uncomfortable uh, topic. Not that there was anything that we anticipated would be uncomfortable. You don't know what people's personal experiences are and what they bring into a role-playing game situation with a table full of strangers, all of which are improvising in the moment. So yeah, he went straight into like covering, he basically like made sure nobody was in character and just covering every meta, all the meta logistics that he needed to. And then you got another table where someone like uh, Lucas Servideo, well, my friend from Pathfinder Society, uh, he went right into role-playing and everyone at the table was in character and expressing themselves in character. And he was explaining what they were seeing, what they were feeling, all contextually through the eyes of the player characters and the uh, NPC liaisons. Each table was given a uh, liaison, a representative from each of the different settings so that right from the start, you get a little bit of Power Rangers, a little bit of Jojo, and a little bit of tra Transformers. So this was going so well, and some people seemed like they could use the extra time, and the other tables didn't seem like they would mind getting a little extra time. So I went to the full 15 minutes before I announced that we were going to do the Gathering of Heroes which is about a, a page of read out loud text all for me because like it is an event with a lot going on. We need like three hours to sum up an entire story 
that is also like completely open-ended in how the players proceed up to a certain point, and then it kind of bottlenecks into more and more of the like pre-written part until eventually everyone is participating in the same combat. So I, I read through it. Um, I, I co-wrote this. Uh, I, I cannot keep forgetting Michael's last name. So I'm just going to look up something real quick. Thanks, everybody. We'll see if this gets edited out. But I hope not to have to pause this recording, even if it does mean some uh, click clacks. Michael Bramnick. I'm sorry, Michael. Uh, a lot of times I have forgotten your last name. So Michael Bramnick and I co-wrote the adventure, but I was the one that wrote this introductory page of text with the concern being like, that's a lot of text. It's a lot of just asking everyone to have their eyes on me. Luckily, I'm very comfortable with public speaking at this point. The podcasting has definitely helped with that. And so uh, I, I read through it exactly as I intended it. There were even some sections like, all right, Optimus Prime's going to introduce himself. So pause for applause. And I did that. It's like, oh, I'm Optimus Prime. And they were just like, whoop, and some, some, uh, some claps. So it's like, yes, all right. I, everyone here is buying into the same experience. Everyone knows that this is going to be fun, over the top. It's only going to take itself seriously in that it's not going to undermine what made these franchises important to us at whatever point in your life you, you came across, Power Rangers, G.I. Joe, or Transformers. But it's also not going to take itself too seriously. It, it's not Shakespeare. It is still you know, Saturday morning children's fair that just happens to have enough depth that adults can also find something entertaining in it. So yeah, I, I did the Optimus Prime speech. I did the Scarlet speech from G.I. Joe. And then I did the Jason, uh, it's either Jason Lee Scott or Jason Scott Lee. And I fully admit, I forget which one is the Power Ranger and which one is the actor. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, uh, in fact, uh, if you watch on Renegade's YouTube channel, there's a Gen Con recap, and when it gets to the part where it was talking about uh, Worlds Collide, Battle for the Multiverse, you do see me doing the conclusion of this text, and it does get some some applause from the crowd before we kick things off, and again, that, that energy was really there. Now, uh, this was divided into three parts from there, where people have some direction of which way they go, and they're trying to achieve tasks, which then... Uh, I tally, and once I uh, hit a certain tally, it means that I trigger an, it triggers an announcement, which affects how the rest of the scene plays out, or the rest of the, the act plays out. And this is one of the areas that I will make some changes before this goes to publication, because I think I asked for about twice as many um, successes as I should have uh, for a couple of reasons. One, knowing that in an event like this, you're going to attract a lot of new players. Sometimes people will be playing the game for the first time. Even some of them will have had the rule book for the whole time and this is their first opportunity to play. Others will just have heard of this event. This might be the first time they're hearing of Essence 20. They show up, grab a pre-gen, don't really know what their characters are. Which uh, made it hard to estimate, especially in the moment, whether I had done too much or too little as far as... Uh, or sorry, if I had done too much or just enough. I definitely didn't do too little. Um, because the problem is, the earlier you are in this act where the number of successes triggers events, it means that the earlier you are, the slower it will be to succeed. Because uh, players need to get into their characters, they need to understand the rhythm of what's going on. 
just everything that uh, everything that could slow down play is more likely to happen at the beginning than at the end. And then the other thing is that some of these events are deliberately written to be simpler, and some of them are written to be more complicated. And the ones that are more complicated are the ones that are more intriguing. So when uh, the GM just gives the players like, so what do you want to do first? Here's some options that you can see from where you are starting this adventure. They're probably going to gravitate towards the longer ones. So I was sitting there waiting for the prescribed number of successes so that I could trigger my first announcement. And even though I was aware of all these facts, that meant no matter how slow it was at the beginning, it was going to be faster later on. I was getting nervous that like, oh, did I miscalculate how many successes? And should I make a call now to like modify these numbers so that it's not a half hour of waiting, then I make the call and then it's suddenly announcement after announcement because suddenly the numbers are different. So what I will do when uh, this goes to publication is I will actually have two different sets of numbers. One of them will be if these are mostly new players, and especially if it's new GMs to Essence 20, use these slower number of successes to give people some breathing room. Because even though the, the frantic excitement and like keeping things moving is part of the experience and is part of the point, you don't want it to overwhelm the GMs or any of the players at the table. So yeah, so the numbers I will have will be if you are playing with some experienced players, you're fine to use these numbers. But if this is a lot of people's first time, use these numbers, which is probably going to be about two thirds of what is prescribed in the original document. But other than that, which was mostly me worrying that the numbers were wrong, first act went pretty well. Second act, I will probably simplify because it is requiring GMs to suddenly uh, shift gears, do a lot of, uh, handle a lot more threats than they need to in a part that really should just be the lead up to the blow off. And then the blow off is where I'm going to have the majority of the changes. Uh, and unfortunately, the changes I'm going to make are going to reflect an early draft that at some point I changed to this more complicated version and seeing it live, I'm like, ah, should have simplified, should have gone with the simple version. Uh, just basically the final act. This is not a spoiler. You are finally confronting Lord Mindwaves, the combination of uh, Lord Zed, Dr. Mindbender and Shockwave. So yeah, so this is when the confrontation happens. And originally it was just, Every table is now free to do their action by themselves. And I was worried, ah, oh, people are buying into this for the interactive table thing. And I have no announcements for this entire act until the very end. So I changed it so that uh, Lord Mindwaves was only affecting one table at a time. And I would make these announcements that Lord Mindwaves is changing targets based on triggered events. And those triggered events were happening way faster than I anticipated. And so I was like, Lord Mindwaves is changing tables or changing targets. And I moved them. And then suddenly I had to do it almost immediately. And it was no longer exciting when the announcement was happening. So at one point I just went over to the GM said, here's a quick change we're going to do to how this runs. This should make it simpler. Just go. And luckily nobody seemed to mind. Uh, it, it seemed to go smoother for the GMs, which made it smoother for the players and nobody was like really missing hearing me making all these announcements. Which brings us to the conclusion. Uh, we wrapped up the event with about 15 minutes left on the schedule. Again, nobody seemed to mind that it wasn't going for the full prescribed time, which I think is good because we actually built in some flexibility so that the players had a little more agency about how things were going, what their characters were doing. And uh, it really affected like the faster the players did it, 
the shorter the event was, but it usually meant that the players were more engaged. At least that's my theory. Uh, so I made the in-character announcement. And uh, before I did that, Jordan came up to me and said, like, hey, we've got these QR codes that we want the players to scan. And they, it leads them to a survey, which they can fill out to tell them how they did it. Because this, we are happy with this and we are looking forward to doing more. And we want to make sure that we get input so that the next time it's even better. And so Jordan said, after you're done the, the in-character event uh, announcement to conclude the event, he'll then do the out-of-character announcement to conclude the ticketed event that everyone at Gen Con was at, not the what the players were, not, sorry, not what the characters were experiences, but the players. And so he does it, and he thanks people for showing up and really says, like, uh, he, he tells them, here's your loot bag. It's gonna, it includes a copy of the Field Guide to Action and Adventure just for participating. And everyone have a good Gen Con. And that's it. And he does not announce that there are these QR codes, which was the whole purpose of him doing the second announcement to conclude the event. So I'm like, uh, Jordan, and I wave the QR code and he's like, all right. And so that's the other logistic error that kind of was on the other end of the bookend of this event, which again, like I said, it was a minor thing. It was just funny that we went with so few hitches for the majority of it. It's funny that at least from the logistic, uh, our point of view, the people running the event, I don't know how obvious it was to the people participating, but yeah, we just had these little hitches at the beginning and the end. I am super happy with how it went. I look forward to more people getting to experience this when it finally goes out in whatever public capacity it's going to be released in. And if I get to do something similar next year, I will absolutely say yes and move my schedule around to make sure that I have time to work on another project like this. Whatever it is, it will probably be another Worlds Collide colon. And... I just got to figure out what to do to make this feel different in case people played year after year. Uh, you know, the same players get into the same event multiple years in a row. So make it a unique experience, but also deliver on what they want. One last thing I have to mention about this event before we move on is that uh, Lucas Servideo, one of the GMs that I mentioned earlier, he... Actually, he was the last GM to sign up because another GM had backed out after, you know, we, we did the initial call. We got our roster of GMs. We lost one. They got replaced. We lost another one. And then Jordan was like, if you know any GMs, let me know because we're kind of thin on GMs at the moment. And so I reached out to Lucas. He was on board. Not only was he willing to GM, but he said, and now I'm going to make you a custom action figure of Lord Mindwaves. He had seen the art and it got it got him so excited that he actually wished he could participate in the event. So when I asked him, he was like, if I can make this work, I would absolutely love to. He made it work. And yeah, he funneled that excitement into creating a custom action figure. He used a, um, a God Mode Skeletor from the Mattel Masterverse. So like a particularly large figure, about a six inch figure, which means that you could scale it as like a really big guy next to some Transformers or an absolute giant next to some G.I. Joes. Um, I don't know the different scales of power range. Actually, if you get the, the, the Jada collectible, the little metal miniature power rangers or, um, uh, renegade renegade releases some unpainted plastic miniatures that you can use as well as the pawns. So scaled against them. He's absolutely massive. Yeah. He made this action figure. He used sculpt to recapture the face, which is a combination of Soundwave and Mindbender and Lord Zed. And all the details. And then he even found a small action figure, a small transformer that transforms into a cannon that approximated the sound wave, uh, the shockwave cannon that was on Lord Mindwave's shoulder. 
and after painting it up, it could still transform. So not only did he drill a joint into the shoulder so that the transformer could plug in, it could also be removed and transform into a little Decepticon buddy from Mindwaves. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. People walking in saw it and were in awe of his his creative uh, his creativity and his crafty skills. And he let me bring it home, which was so nice of him, so generous. And uh, I, <laughs> my office is not ready for it yet, but once I finally clean and set up this office that has been long overdue, uh, I'm going to make sure Lord Mindwaves has a place of honor on one of the shelves. That wasn't the only Essence 20 related or Renegade related or these Hasbro brands related events and news from Gen Con 2023. First of all, there was the booth that was selling just the gigantic breadth of products that Renegade has. It is shocking just how much product Renegade offers and that Essence 20 got this dedicated space where there were towers just made of the books overlapping. Uh, they had uh, shipped in as much of the Decepticon Directive, the new Transformers source book. Uh, they, they shipped in as many as they could. So it started as one of the smallest towers and it is one of the ones that went fastest. But they were nicely blended in with the associated games with those brands. So the deck builder games, Mission Critical, uh, the, something about the grid. The Masters of the Grid? No, that's not right. Anyway, the Power Rangers miniature game, that's the equivalent of Mission Critical. Uh, so yeah, all that stuff was there. So if you were a fan of any of these four brands, because My Little Pony was well represented as well. Um, yeah, it just you could not stop, but you could not help but stop and stare at this booth, interact with the cool products. Uh, in fact, I I got the feeling that a lot of the people that were showing up at the booth were not there because they were already Essence 20 fans. They were there because they were fans of these brands and they wanted to know more about these role-playing games. And so a variety of essence of uh yeah of, of renegade staff like again ben heinzler heisler uh was was manning the booth as well as uh just fans of the game who uh were willing to give their time you know in exchange for payment but still sacrificing their gen con because they are so committed to essence 20 that they are willing to give up the best four days of gaming to make sure they get these products into the hands of gamers that will appreciate them Not only did Renegade have an impressive footprint at the booth, but they also just had an impressive footprint at Gen Con in general. The Worlds Collide event was held in one of the rooms, one of two demo rooms. Funny enough, there was a G there was an RPG room and there was a tabletop gaming room. And Worlds Collide was held in the tabletop gaming room. But any other time, this was to demo uh, Renegade's other games. And then there was a whole other area in, I believe, Hall D, which if you know Gen Con Hall... F? I want to say, I was going to say Hall H, but now I think that I'm mixing up my events. But in any case, there's the exhibit hall. And then if you go all the way to the far end of it, it branches out into another hall that is a lot of gaming area. And so that's where Renegade was running tournaments and whatnot. Or no, they might have been running more demos there. And then over at Lucas Oil Stadium, which is a couple of blocks away, that was opened up to gaming and they had tournaments and whatnot in there. So yeah, Renegade just had a major presence all over Gen Con. So if you were a fan of the company or you're a fan of any of the individual games that they release, you could have a full Gen Con of just that one experience. And that's not all. Like Renegade made several announcements, although the they technically weren't Gen Con announcements. Renegade didn't have any seminars or whatnot. 
uh, didn't make any news at the con. They released some really impressive press releases the week or two before the con that revealed some uh, just future of what the company has. We know, first of all, that uh, welcome to Night Vale, Renegade has the role-playing game license. I didn't even think there would ever be a Welcome to Night Vale role-playing game. For those who don't know, Welcome to Night Vale is a uh, podcast that was in the style of old news radio, very similar to uh, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds, the original radio show. And the idea is that it is telling you about the world through news stories that make sense to the people that live within the world. So it's a lot of world-building done in clever ways and very funny writing. And it just tells the story of this area that is going through some kind of monster infestation, some kind of supernatural event is happening, and newscasters are just trying to convey what is happening based on what little information they have without causing a panic. Like, it, it's it's a well-crafted podcast that I'm not sure how it could be converted into a role-playing game. I think the best way to do it would be to... Make it like a Call of Cthulhu or, or that kind of game as far as the setting, but a completely different tone, a much lighter tone, uh, like kind of a, everyone knows that they are playing it a little a little light, uh, kind of like a, uh, the Taika Waititi vampire show, what we do in the shadows. So yeah, give your role-playing game that kind of tone, even if it has a, you know, a, a horrific supernatural horror theme. Um, and I suppose like, and so that would then dictate what the classes or roles or whatever system it's going to be. Cause it was not announced what system will run this, whether it's going to be something original essence 20, uh, I, I doubt it would be world of darkness, but Renegade has a lot of options of how they want to uh, develop this system. Maybe it'll be five, five, um, no, probably not. But in any case, your class, your role will likely be the classics for something like Lovecraft, where it would be an investigator, a local, uh, um, you know, law enforcement, the, the, the librarian, the weird occult fanatic. And those would be the types of characters. I gotta say, if it were on essence 20, it would be cool to have those kinds of roles to, uh, play around with in the, the essence 20 sandbox. I don't know. I don't know exactly how smoothly that kind of thing would work. But it is fun to think about. On the flip side, so not role-playing game related, but related to the brands that Renegade has the licenses for. They made two more announcements of games to look forward to. One of them is Giorgio Axis and Allies, uh, which has some kind of Arctic Circle subtitle. But anyway, it's Axis and Allies with the Giorgio skin and hundreds of miniatures from what I understand. And then there's also Transformers Robo Rally. I'm really looking forward to G.I. Joe Axis and Allies. Uh, again, I have nothing to do with this product. I know very little about it. I, I know as much as you know. Um, but yeah, the idea, like, Axis and Allies, I often think of it as the the alternative to Risk. Like, it's kind of the off-the-beaten-path version of Risk. And I've played a lot more Risk than I've played Axis and Allies. I think I've only played one game of Axis and Allies. I maybe played a second one. But if I did, it was 20 years ago, so I'm not even super familiar with the rules. But just knowing that it's this the smaller, more dedicated fan base who's super excited to see it come back perfectly mirrors the attitude in the G.I. Joe community right now. And so those two, just based on the pluckiness of these like stubborn and 
dedicated fan bases. I see that making them mix well together. And of course, there's the obvious overlap of themes. and It's a military fantasy uh, where you get to play strategic, you know, you get to make strategic choices trying to, to win a battle. And there's, there's, I, I feel like there will probably be a lot of G.I. Joe characters in it, but I think there's going to be a little more emphasis on bringing the vehicles to life which is not something you can do in Mission Critical. I think Mission Critical is mainly focused on characters with the occasional vehicle. So I think that's going to flip, which is exciting because there's a lot of really cool vehicles that they can play with and come up with really fun and unique mechanics to represent them in an Axis and Ally type game. The other game is the one I'm a little more hesitant about. It's Robo Rally. It's Transformers Robo Rally. Now, I like Transformers and I like Robo Rally, but I like them for very different reasons. I like Robo Rally because it's chaotic, because you set a plan, things happen, and you have to see that plan through before you can start making adjustments to the plan, and just things will just constantly be going wrong. And I just don't see that same theme in Transformers, unless it's very specifically like the the Wreckers or the Junkions or the Stunticons, like factions within the Transformers franchise that are specifically geared towards chaos. And I highly doubt they would sell a robo-rally that is Junkions versus Stunticons, regardless of how much more thematically appropriate that would be when they could have Optimus Prime versus Megatron, you know, the classic characters. Because the assumption is that any one of these games could be the first game that anyone picks up for these licenses, and they want you know, they want the big guns. They want the familiar characters. But the other thing is that that programmed movement thing doesn't feel thematic to Transformers. Yes, Robo Rally and Transformers are both robots, but the tri Cybertrodians are autonomous. So the only way I could see this working is if those are more like orders and it's like, oh, it's, it's a battle that's not going the way anyone wants. But then... That's not really Robo Rally. That's not the same tone. So, yeah, I I I want to see more about this before I can really get excited about it because it I haven't picked up the new Robo Rally yet, and I don't have a copy of the old one that I used to play. Uh, you know, it was a friend's copy, so I haven't played Robo Rally in a few years, and it would be nice to have a new copy of it. And if the Transformers one is super cool, I will be happy to have that be my default version of Robo Rally. Uh, I just don't. I, I'm having trouble imagining how that could be cool in the same way. It, it's possible they make enough modifications to Robo Rally that, to fit the Transformers theme that it would even be worth it to have both copies of the game, both a regular and a Transformers version. I don't know. Like I said, this is something that I'm going to be looking forward to seeing. Uh, uh, to seeing before passing final judgment. And with that, I think I'm going to wrap things up. I had originally planned on talking about my personal experience at Gen Con, but that feels like something that I can either wait till I talk to Jason about, or, you know, do you really need to hear about uh, losing my luggage and all the ways that it overshadowed what should have been a really fun gaming experience for me? We'll see. We'll see if we talk about it in the future. So instead, I'm going to be wrapping things up with a couple of shout outs. First of all, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I had plans for a Essence 20 focused blog called Essential Builds. It's happening. Uh, I have published two installments of Essential Builds. First, I made Batman. Second, I made Richard the Warlock. 
If you're not familiar, Batman is this. No, if you're not familiar, Richard the Warlock is the breakout character from Looking for Group, which is a, uh, a fantasy satire about uh, a Kale who is just trying to do good in the world and an undead warlock named Richard who is just trying to undermine him in every possible way. And uh, it really, it, it was a huge hit when it first started, especially when it had its first musical video come out called Slaughter Your World, which is a fully animated three-minute video uh, in that parodies part of your world from uh, Little Mermaid. It, uh, it's, it had millions of views. It was at one point the top uh, video in the comedy category on YouTube, like all of YouTube. And I know this is 15 years ago, YouTube, but that's still, that was a huge deal. And I have been writing looking for group for the last year. I took over from the creator. I took over writing duties from the creator, Brian Somer in August of 2022. And from uh, what I was told up until a couple of months ago, he was very happy with how the, the comic was going. He was very happy with reception and with our audience and so I, I would continue to be the writer. And then he looked at it from another angle and realized that just because we had the same numbers we used to doesn't mean those numbers mean the same thing. And he looked at it and unfortunately looking for group is not making enough money to justify its continued existence at this time. So it is wrapping up uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, August 31st will be the last installment. So I wanted to make sure that if I ever made a Richard build, I would put it out before looking for group was done, which is what I have done now. So if you are at all curious about looking for group, you've got almost 20 years worth of comics to read through to uh, catch up. Or if you uh, haven't been reading in a while, you can come back. Uh, or if you just want to read what I've been doing, I started at page 16 something. Um, let me quickly see if I can figure out what page it was. 1629 was my first page. So yeah, if you're just curious at all about what I've been talking about, you can check that out. Or if you're familiar enough with Richard to appreciate a Richard build, uh, one of the main reasons that I wanted to, Richard, was to show how the magic system from My Little Pony could be integrated into a non-My Little Pony game. And I think I did that nicely. In fact, I had a ton of fun building this build. So I, I had fun with my Batman build, but this one went much further. Like It really stretched the limits of what Essence 20 could do. And yet it felt simpler. Like a lot of the choices were a lot more intuitive. They were automatic for like, here's a character that, you know, there are no undead rules in Essence 20. There's no warlock stats in Essence 20. And yet by combining just the right themes of different parts, I was able to come up with a really fun and interesting Richard build. So I recommend people check that out. I also recommend people check out Snyder's Return. This is another podcast that is a role-playing game interview podcast hosted by Adam. He is from the UK, and yet he manages to accommodate the schedules of all of his mostly North American guests. And he is a, a real supporter of Essence 20. And so a few months ago, or a couple of months ago, maybe, I posted on Facebook, uh, on Twitter saying, I have five books coming out at Gen Con. If anyone would like to have me on their podcast just to talk about what a wow moment that is for me as a game designer, I would love to do it. And he reached out and said he'd love to have me back on the show because he'd originally had Brian on the show to talk about Power Rangers, Brian, Brian C.P. Steele, one of the other designers of the Essence 20 system and one of the authors on the Power Rangers role-playing game, uh, Core Book. So then uh, after that interview went well, they were chatting and my name came up. And so um, 
based on Brian's recommendation, Adam reached out to me. We did an episode on G.I. Joe, the role-playing game, G.I. Joe, the brand, and just broadly speaking, me as a game designer and a gamer. Uh, it went really well, and so he wanted to have me back on to talk My Little Pony, Sergeant Slaughter, Cobra, uh, Cobra Confusion, the other field guide, field guide to action adventure, and the uh, Worlds Collide. Just uh, All of these things that are happening that I've been working on for the last two years that are just now all kind of coming out at once. And it was a great time. Adam is a really informed host. He really knows how to get the guests to stay on topic, to get from point A to point B. We covered a lot of ground in a one-hour interview. I was I was shocked at how quickly we managed to go through it. Um, people who've listened to Essence 20, you'll probably hear some of my common anecdotes, but a lot of stuff was also new or just uh, elaborated on differently. And I recommend you check it out. So the podcast name is Snyder's Return. And uh, look it up in your podcast, or that's probably the best way to track down a podcast at this point. I think that wraps things up. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast. If you want to find more great gaming podcasts, you go to nodirectionpodcast.com. There's also blogs there. Yeah, I want to say thank you to our patrons. You can find out more at patreon.com slash no direction. And finally, thank you to Word Burglar for the use of Letters from Snake Eyes Part 4. You can find out more at wordburglar.com. I'm Ryan Costello, and we'll see you in two weeks for the next episode of Upshift. For now, the objective was stopping the threat of this venomous collective. Spreading across the globe, I was ready to lock and load. With flash, grand slam, clutch, zap, and rock and roll. Hawk, steal a grunt, breaker, and short fuse. And before I knew, I gained a whole lot more to lose.